We get to spend this day together. Thank you, Trent and the band, for leading us so well this morning. A um, couple things really quickly. Um, if you want to, you can go ahead and turn to Matthew 21. That's where we'll be today. Um, we're continuing our walk through the book of Matthew. And uh, so as we move through, we need to really pray and ask the Lord to give us eyes to see and ears to hear. There's a lot, a lot we're going to cover today, um, but we want to make sure that we are not just flashing through and not really stopping to see Christ and to see this good and mighty King that we are supposed to be focusing on this year. So let's pray in that line before we dive in. Lord Jesus, we ask this very, that very thing, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. The tendencies of our heart are to run far from you and not toward you. God, we want to run toward you this morning. So inhabit the praises of your people and move amongst us in the only way you can. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Years ago, um, I was traveling with Greg Mathias, one of our elders, and Josh Reed, one of our recent church planters, and we were on our way to Washington, D.C. to the covenanting service of um, Restoration Church. And as customary with those guys, um, and when I'm traveling, I'm always looking for a place to eat. And so as we traveled up the interstate, we stopped where every traveler on the interstate stops, you guessed it, the Cracker Barrel. So we, um, we went in and sat down, ordered our chicken fried steak, mashed potatoes, green beans, and biscuits. And as we waited, we engaged our waitress in some spiritual conversation. And so as we did that, um, we kind of came around to the, uh, just the, the topic of church. And our waitress was like, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I go to church. And then Josh looked at her and, and said, but are you a follower of Christ? Do you follow Jesus? She said, I told you, I go to church. And with the precision of a surgeon, without blinking an eye, Josh said, ma'am, I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but if I stand in my garage, that does not make me a car. And with the same precision and without an even blip on the radar, she looked right at him and she said, that is deep. (laughs) That is like Joyce Myers deep. And at that moment, I thought I was going to have to perform the Heimlich on Greg because he swallowed a huge amount of food. I think I spit my biscuit across the, the table, and Josh was left speechless. I've never seen Josh Reed speechless except for that one moment. He had, no, he had nothing. He was undone. And so for the rest of the trip, I called him Joyce. So... Here's the thing about stories like that. Aren't they wonderful? 
Don't they grab you? Because you have traveled down the interstate. You stopped at the Cracker Barrel. You know the sights and the sounds. You know the rocking chairs and the brown aprons with the little gold stars across. You know. You've had chicken fried steak. You could taste it as I was talking about it. Great stories are wonderful because they draw us into our own experience. They captivate our emotions and our imagination. And oftentimes they leave us at the end of them just wondering what's going to happen next. What's coming next? Last week, we were following Jesus and he had this little interchange with the elders and the chief priests and they were trying to trap him. And remember, Jesus turned the table. Larry helped us see that very well. And he asks them, where did, where did the message and the baptism of John the Baptist come from? And with great confidence, they answered, I don't know. I don't know. And we're left, right? We're left there. We were left there hanging last week like a like a cliffhanger in a miniseries. What's going to happen next? How's Jesus going to respond to an answer of, I don't know. It's amazing how he responds. So to their, I don't know, Jesus says in verse 28, okay, well, what do you think about this? And he begins to tell them a series of stories, of parables, and he draws them in. These stories reveal divine truth, but they also conceal it from those who would not hear. So he starts like this. A man had two sons. And we're hooked and they're hooked because they want to know what happens next. What happens to these two sons? What two sons? And so here's how Jesus goes on. He says he went to the first son the father did, and he said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterwards, he changed his mind, and he went. And he went to the other son, and he said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of the father? They said, the first. And Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. So in this story, the first son denies his father, says, I'm not going, I'm not doing the father's will, but then he changes his mind and he goes and does it. The second one gives great lip service to the father. He's even very polite. If my son said, yes, sir, I will go, I would be thrilled. I would be thrilled until... Like this one, he didn't do it. And the question comes from Jesus. Which of the two sons did the father's will? And you could just see. You can just see it. The Pharisees are like, we got this one. The first one, right. 
Right, the first one. No shock, no surprise, nothing offensive. They got this one right. Until Jesus says, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. What? Wait, we answered the question right, Jesus. What? What? And it's really hard for us to understand the offensiveness of this little story. He took the toothless meth addicts, the adulterers, and the child molesters of his day, and he put them before the religious elite. Jesus pulled a mat right out from under them and out from under us. Because it's not just the Pharisees who see themselves in the wrong place in this story. It's you and me. We have a misconception often of the place we play in the story. They thought they were doing work. They thought they were the first son. Jesus' story confronts our story. It's an effective teaching tool because we understand. It connects to our life. It stirs our emotions and our imagination. So where you stand today, what role are you playing? Which son do you look most like? Jesus tells the Pharisees this story in order to help them see their need for embracing John's gospel of repentance because the kingdom is at hand. And right now, they are playing the role of the second son. Verse 32 says, For John came to you in a way of righteousness, and you did not believe, but the tax collectors and prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your mind and believe in him. Even after seeing it, you did not change your mind. You did not repent. You did not believe. Why are the prostitutes and the tax collectors going into the kingdom before you? It's simply because... They changed their minds, they repented from their sin, they believed and they walked in obedience. The Pharisees were the second son, but here's the beauty of Jesus' teaching, it cuts two ways. It's a warning to our self-righteousness and a blessed celebration of God's grace. This parable is a warning to all of us who feel like we have an inside track to the kingdom that excludes continual repentance, belief, and obedience. Every time I'm confronted with an area of my life that is in direct denial of the Father's will and I don't change my mind in turn, I play the role of the second son. Every time. But the door is still open. The door of grace and mercy is open for the unlikely people far from God. People who have ruined their lives by saying no to God over and over. Even the chief priests and the elders. Even you and me. The gospel proclamation of Matthew eleven twenty eight rings throughout all the dark alleys of your life and mine. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. 
and I will give you rest. Come to me, all you religious elite, addicts, screw-ups, tax collectors, prostitutes. I will give you rest. Jesus is asking the religious elite, and he's asking you today, what do you think? Is it time to change your mind? And while you're thinking about that, I've got another story for you. And Jesus starts it this way. There was a master of a house who, who did what? We're hooked. Once again, what happens next? What did he do? And Jesus tells a story of a crazy love of the master for his vineyard. The master took great care to build the vineyard and he leased it to some tenants. And the master's expectation was that the tenants would cultivate and keep the vineyard and produce great fruit for the master. However, the tenants rebelled and took over. In this story, Jesus, like the master teacher that he is, is reaching into their story and he's using the imagery of Isaiah 5. They knew exactly what he was talking about. To remind, he was reminding them of the care God has for his covenant people. In a sense, this parable captures the story of the entire Bible. So in the time we have left, I want to highlight four gospel truths out of this parable. The first is the love of God is actually overwhelming. Hear another parable, he says. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to the tenants and went into another country. And when the season for the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get this fruit. Notice the action verbs in these verses. Planted, put a fence, dug a wine press, built a tower, leased it to tenants and went into another country and he sent servants. All of the action in this story originates with the master of the house. Every bit of it. The owner takes great care in his creation and preparing of the vineyard, emphasizing both his love for and his absolute ownership of that vineyard. This was no random story. The Pharisees knew this one. This was the same language that the prophet, prophet Isaiah used to describe God's carefully prepared vineyard, Israel. God said through his prophet, What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? The first gospel truth we have to understand from Jesus' parable is this. Biblical love story from beginning to end is held together by God's love and his action, not ours. With persistent, patient love, the master of the story, God, creates, cultivates, and continues a relationship with his vineyard. Whether there's rebellious people in there or not. So what happens next, Jesus? How do the tenants react to this amazing love, and the responsibility they've been given. 
verse 34 and 35 and 36. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. And again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. The tenants had failed to remember that the master owned the vineyard and began to believe that it was, it was theirs, that somehow ownership had transferred to them. And Israel had forgotten that God owned everything, that he created them, and they were to share in his work. That's it's kind of distant from you and I. But this is the temptation for each of us in this room. We have a tendency to believe that our life belongs to us because we're the ones living it. We forget daily one simple fact. We are living right now because of the will of God and his ownership of us. He created you. Dale Bruner writes this. If the main theme of the gospel is the love of God, the sub-theme of the gospel is humanity's rebellious response to this love. Apparently, we want to be God. Isn't this why you and I get so angry when things go wrong in our life? Because we assume that this life is ours and we don't want anything or anyone messing up our life. In that moment, we fail to recognize and see that God is the owner, owns everything. He's the owner of all creation and he's the owner of us. God gives his people everything they need. Everything they need. Some of you came in here today angry, frustrated, because there's a lot of hard stuff going on in your life. And Jesus says, don't forget. Don't forget that God gives his people everything they need. He creates, he cultivates his people. His goodness, his love, his grace are lavished on them and he entrusts the work of cultivation and care to them. No matter how hard, no matter how hard the ground is. Producing the fruit of faith and obedience is what he has called us to. Is what he has created us for. Yet consistently the temptation of his people is to reject that love. It's easy to say that you love God and that Jesus is the Lord of your life. It's very easy to say that. But what's your demeanor when he starts messing with it? What's your demeanor when he starts messing with your money? your possessions, your children. What then? What happens when God brings one of his servants to your door to point out areas of your life 
where you're not in line with God and his word? What's your response? The tenant's response was to protect the rebellion. What's yours? The second gospel truth that we have to understand from Jesus' parable is that the human condition is incredibly sinful. That our rebellion is, is just stupid and insidious. And we move constantly away from God. We want to be king. And at the point of the story, we're left with the anxious question. What happens next? Does the master return to the vineyard like a gladiator and delve out poetic justice? Because that's what I'm thinking. Here's what Jesus says in verse 37 and 38. Finally, he sent his son to them saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him, threw him out of the vineyard, killed him. What? What is up with this master? What kind of master meets irrational rebellion with more powerful irrational love? Why send your son into that environment? It's obvious, it's evident that the tenants don't want the master managing their lives. The master's love will not be denied. And it's intentional and it's intense. Jesus is summarizing the plot line of the people of Israel and the plot line of your life and mine. God loves his people. They routinely rebel against that love. God keeps pursuing them, and then finally, God does the unthinkable. He sends his son to become one of us. Jesus steps into the messy, bloody, ongoing cycle of violence and hatred. And what do we do? Verse 39. We take him, we throw him out, we put him to death. You and me. If Jesus is in fact the Son of God, if the kingdom has come as John the Baptist said was happening, then this is the greatest act of love ever known. And this is the third gospel truth. God sent his son as the central act of redemptive history and the ultimate act of love.
what happens now? They killed the master's son. Jesus even asked the crowd this very question. Verse 40 and 41. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to another tenant who will give him the fruits in their season. This week I was reminded that Jesus' parables are not warm, fuzzy, bedtime stories. And Jesus once again asks his opponents to pronounce their own sentence. They not only predict their own judgment, but also the transfer of the vineyard of God, God's service to another people. God will entrust his vineyard to those who will bear fruit. Make no mistake, the vineyard will endure. It will continue. The mission of God will continue. Whether or not the tenants are rebellious or not, God's good news, his gospel, his kingdom will not fail. It will endure. And when Jesus comes and confronts your religiosity, challenges your sin, calls you to a faith that is lived out by obedience, what is your reaction? What do you think is going to happen? What do you think is going to take place if you treat Jesus in the same way the tenants did the son in this story? That's what we're confronted with today. Our rebellion shows that we love our sin and love the ownership of our own lives more than we love the one who created us, the one who has loved us, the one who has reached out to us continuously. It, it shows that we would rather protect what we love. Jesus said to them in verse 42, Have you never read in the scriptures... Sorry, my little clicker's not working. There you go. Have you never read in the scriptures, the stone the builders rejected has come, become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Be careful, church, not to reject Jesus. He is the foundation of everything. This is God's story and plan, and he owns you. He owns it. He owns everything. And if you continue to rebel, you do with great peril. Verse 43 and 44. Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to people producing its fruit. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush them.
Don't ignore the judgment of God. It is a sure thing. And the stone is coming. And it will crush the rebellious. Fourth, fourth gospel truth is judgment is coming. It is certain. The rejection of Jesus' teaching means a shattering fall today. If you reject Jesus' teaching, you will fall. But it also promises a pulverizing judgment to come for those who do not believe. Listen, I understand. This type of teaching, it's hard. But it comes straight from the mouth of Jesus. The truth, the word incarnate delivers this to the people of God. Emphasizing once again repent for the kingdom is at hand. The king is in your midst. So what happens now? Obviously, nothing happens now. Verse 45 and 46, read along in your Bible. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they had held him to be a prophet. Do you find yourself today with the chief priests and Pharisees? Have you perceived today that Jesus is speaking about you? That you have played the second son? You have played the rebellious tenant? So the question comes back to you now. So what happens now? What do you do now? What's the next chapter of your story? Is there an area of your life right now where you are giving Jesus lip service? Yes, sir, I'll go. But you're not walking in obedience. How long will you continue to say no to the salvation that is found in Christ? Jesus is saying today, join the tax collectors and prostitutes. Change your mind. Repent. Believe in Jesus and walk in obedience. Or maybe today you find yourself struggling and angry. Fighting to protect your rebellion and sin has made you tired. You're worn out. Jesus says, stop protecting. 
Stop thinking that this life is yours and remember that God owns it all and he loves you. And he's calling you to confess your sin. Confess your sin to the one who is faithful to forgive. The one who loves you so much that he sent his only son Today's the day. Repent. Turn from it. Lastly, the truth is that the kingdom of God will move forward with or without you. God will continue to do his work. The question really is, will you be working for him or against him? Today's the day you need to change your mind and get to work. You see, because your job is not your job. Your job is God's job. It's the job God has given you. So whether you're a businessman, a doctor, a lawyer, a mechanic, whatever you do, whatever your job is, It's to bear fruit. It's to work for the Father. What would happen if just those in this room right now, not the next hour, but just us, if this number of people decided to take this seriously and decided that today is the day? Today's the day I quit playing games with Jesus and I get serious and I do the work he's called me to do. Do you think that Wake Forest would be maybe affected? Do you think the gospel might go further than it's already gone from this place? What do you think might happen if each one of us was confronted with that today? We repented, we changed our minds, and we walked in obedience. My guess is things would look radically different for you, for me, for our community, those who haven't heard. Let's pray today together that things would be different. That our minds would be changed and we would play the role of the first son. As we stand together to worship in response to the word, I want to instruct you in a couple things. Don't just walk away and not hear the truth. Don't just walk out the door and forget everything from that door to your car that's been said today, the scripture that you've read over, what Jesus is trying to speak into your heart. Sit, pray, come down front, pray with someone else. Come down, I'll pray with you. But today, do business with Christ.
Do business with Jesus. Today, change your mind and walk in obedience. Let's pray. You stand.